vulnerability, in this place of surrender, in this place of proclamation where we declare the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we surrender to your work. We know that you're breaking every chain. We know that you're setting the captives free. We know that you're advancing your kingdom as you build your church. Jesus, we exalt you in this place. We break every chain, Lord. Hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a place of personal sacrifice. It's a place where you choose. Today, God, we choose you. We humble ourselves at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, remembering his sacrifice, remembering the price he was willing to pay to set us free. We celebrate his resurrection and his victory over death and sickness and illness. Liberty for the captives because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. As we humble ourselves, we lift up your name. Praise be to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, may you be the king in our lives, first and foremost. May you be the king in this church. God, our prayer is that you'd be the king in this town. Tonight as we come together as a wider body of Christ, as the united Christian churches of Te Aumuru, Lord, we want your name established. That your light would shine in the darkness. That people would know Jesus is the Savior, the way to God the Father. And that they would come to a place of love and safety. Amen. 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 Well, welcome. Good morning. It's great to have you all with us. It's great to see some new faces in the crowd. If you don't know who I am, I'm Phil, and I'm one of the team here. And uh, we like to have fun. We like to um, look at the Word of God. We like to worship. Um, but I've been saying to the team lately, there's really only two, two measurements for us as far as what is, does Sunday morning go well, and that is one, does God turn up? And two, do we do what he says? Yeah. So we're always sensitive to what God's doing and um, wanting to hear what he would say to us in that moment. And sometimes that requires the run sheet to go away, the rules to be broken, and God to speak. So I'm really, really keen to make sure we continue to do that as a family. And I encourage you to do that in your own life. Today I want to... Uh, speak a message in our series. Uh, we're in a series in 2000 and whatever this year is uh, called Belonging. And the final part of Belonging in our series is called Engaged in Purpose. And I want to speak specifically to that today. Now, if you haven't been here or been away like I've been, then I encourage you to catch the podcasts. As Ash said, we have an app that you can get on your phone or your tablet for free and you get those messages pushed to you. Um, so that you can listen to them and consume them. And sometimes you've got to listen to the message more than once to make sure you get it. Um, for the rest of this month, no, next month, it's November, this week, my goodness, 
Uh, Jamie's going to bring a message uh, on purpose and stepping into your purpose, which I'm really excited to hear. Kathy's got a message that we've mapped out, and uh, it's going to be pretty challenging. You're welcome. Uh, so look forward to that. Don't be away that week. You want to catch that one. And there's a couple of other exciting opportunities I'm going I'm to share with you today to remind you about. Um, also, um, with December coming up, um, vision messages are being prepared as we speak. And beginning of December is always about releasing uh, from here, but catching where you are, the vision for the church for 2018 and 2019. I've got some stuff to share with you. And um, next year is going to be... Another roller coaster ride, which is always exciting. Grit your teeth, hold on tight, and scream like a girl. That's the way I live. So um, I encourage you to, to, to do the same. But of course, then it's Christmas. How many sleeps till Christmas? 57 sleeps till Christmas. I'm not sure why you need to know that, but it's important that you know that. Hey, um, I just want to share something with you today. It's about being vulnerable. Um, here's a photo of me before I put my makeup on. Uh, no, not true. You didn't believe that for a moment. Uh, this artist, Casey Zavaglia, she's um, known in artist circles, not to me, but this is what I learn, um, is she's known for representing her, um, I would call them victims, what do you call someone that's in a painting? Subject, thank you. Uh, she's known for presenting her subjects uh, in a way that captures them, uh, she does that two ways, through paint, but also through fabric and weaving, and this is uh, one of her fabric uh, impressions, I suppose you'd call that. Um, but what she's also more known for, which I wanted to highlight to you today, uh, was portraying that artwork from the other side. And Casey, as an artist, believes that what is seen on the front is not always the most accurate, nor is it the most beautiful picture of a person. Just let that settle for a minute. What is seen is not always the most accurate, nor is it the most beautiful picture of a person. A friend of mine, his name's Andrew, he tells a story. He was visiting an elderly lady one day as part of his work ministry, and she had a tapestry on the wall, and the poor old duck had hung it the wrong way, the backside showing. And he thought, oh, she just doesn't quite see. Perhaps her eyes are not so good. And he kindly, after they'd shared a cup of tea and had some friendship time, pointed to the tapestry and said, hey, you know, would you like me to help you turn it around? And she carefully but politely corrected him. She says, no, this is not a mistake. I've hung the tapestry exactly the way that I'd like to. She said to my friend, looking at the picture this way reminds me that my life is not perfect. And then she said this, looking at the tapestry from God's perspective reminds me that he's always in control. See, God sees what others don't see. She says, when people see, what people see is one thing, but she says, I want to know what God's up to, and that's why I hung the tapestry the back way. So I want to talk about that a little bit today, and it's already been alluded to through the prayer. Um, uh, for me, as a leader, um, Someone that lives is called to live their life in a spotlight in different cities and places around the, the world. Um, I'm often um, challenged or uh, perhaps uh, had, had complaints about the way that my life is presented, for instance, on social media. People complain and they mutter about the photos I share or the places that I'm in 
And I just grin. Because what I choose to reveal on Facebook is only one side of the tapestry. And if you judge a person by what you see on social media, you're revealing how shallow you are. You see, what's really happening in my life is on the other side of the tapestry, and the truth is, I've made a decision not to put that on Facebook. If you're close to me, and you know who I am, then that gets revealed to you out of relationship. But being friends on Facebook doesn't mean to say we're close. There's much, much more going on in our lives behind the scenes. Now today, because your family... I'm going to reveal my backside to you. Not literally. Come on. Think about it. That that would be wrong. People. Seriously. No, I'm going to. I'm going to pull back the covers, as it were. And what I want to reveal to you is some of the things that do go on behind the scenes that aren't revealed publicly outside of family, because I'm hoping that in in doing that, that I actually reveal God to you. Not because I'm God, but because I'm going to teach you and show you some of the prayers I pray in my closet when no one's looking. You get to choose, I suppose, how you respond to that. To start with, though, looking at the Word of God, I'd love to spend some time looking at the fabric of Daniel's life, hence the reference to the tapestry and the weaving. I want to talk about Daniel, and I want to talk about being intentional for those that are listening online or taking notes. The subject of the message is becoming or being intentional. I want to look at the key aspects, just some key aspects of Daniel's life, but I just need to, I suppose, put some parameters around what we're going to do, because Daniel, oh my goodness, the whole book of Daniel? Uh, No, we're not going to do that today. The first half of Daniel is kind of like the story that simple people like me can follow along. But the second half of Daniel gets prophetic about the apocalyptic ending and destruction of of what we see and what we know as the world and the, the coming victory of Christ and us ruling and reigning with him. That's far beyond my comprehension for this morning. So we're just going to keep it to the first half of Daniel. It's an area that I think I can understand and, and we can learn something from Daniel, all right? So, so understanding who Daniel is, let's look at just a couple of key notes. Um, as always, I'm not going to read you the story today, the first six chapters of Daniel. I'd encourage you to read those in your devotional personal time with God. It's an easy story to follow, and you'll see some of the key things, I suppose, that, that I've been seeing as, as I've looked into the life of Daniel. Daniel was a young Hebrew boy living in Jerusalem, But Jerusalem was overrun by the Babylonians in 605 BC, and they were taken captive. So this is the days of, uh, just think like world domination. So that's probably like a game that some of your kids would play on their PlayStation or Xbox. Um, And what happened is the the dominant nation would turn up and and, and try to overcome and take captive. And that's what happened in Israel. Uh, Jerusalem um, had this guy called Nebuchadnezzar turn up. Now, he was a brand new king. As a prince in his father's kingdom, he'd been taking on nations of the world and expanding the empire of his father, whose name was Nebopolassar. How's that, Dad? That, we'll just call him Dad. But he died um, just before the conquest of Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar's the new king. He turns up to Jerusalem, and the Israelites, the Hebrews, go, oh, no, and they gave up. 
They sur- the Bible says they surrendered. History books tell us they didn't fight, they didn't worry, they're just like, well, okay, sucks to be us this week, but we're, we're going to be taken captives by the Babylonians. And as the culture was in those days, they, they selected fine young men from houses of nobility, and they took them home and retrained them in their way of living. They said, you'll no longer live as a Hebrew and study the ways of the Hebrew or worship the God of the Hebrew. You're not even going to eat like a Hebrew. You're coming and you're going to learn how to live like we live. And this is how their culture spread across the globe. Daniel, it says in the beginning of the story, you can read it in Daniel chapter 1, was a boy of noble birth who was taken to Babylonian to be trained for three years in the ways of living. Daniel was well trained, we'll see. Uh, in the ways of living, and he served four different kings over a period of 70 years. So a long time, lots of changes, and we're going to see a few of those this morning. When you read the story of Daniel, you'll see a phrase that's used several times. Daniel was well-favored. He was esteemed in the eyes of the kings because of the spirit of holy gods that he carried. And I want to point to that today. He was set apart. There was something different about him. Now, look at the language. The pagans, the Babylonians, and their astrologers, and their, and their magic people, and their enchanters, and their advisors, they thought there was many gods. So they just say, well, you've got the spirit of the holy God, meaning others may not be so holy. But Daniel was known. He was set apart. He was different. We read about Daniel in other places in the Bible. He's referred to by Jesus as a prophet near the book of, end of Matthew. It's, just a, it's, it's not something Daniel would have called himself, but I suppose the prophetic messages that he shared about the, the future, the coming age uh, that was beyond his time, Jesus honored him as a prophet. But interestingly, Ezekiel refers to Daniel in a phrase he uses where he says, speaking as God's voice piece, mouthpiece, the prophet Ezekiel, he says... Um, he says Noah and Daniel and Job would be righteous in that they won't be destroyed by God. And what he's actually saying is these three men, Noah and Daniel and Job, their purity before God would rescue them from destruction and not even their children would be saved. So he's revered by God himself who spoke through the prophet. Highly honored by the Lord for his faithfulness and his purity. That's a key point around the character of Daniel if we're going to learn something from him as an example to us. Daniel is a great example. He leads us in many ways. He, he shows us, I hope you see this morning, how we can live even in suffering. I hope you see how we can live even in an ungodly world. And uh, he shows us how we can be humble in success, always giving honor to God. So I want to look at the fabric of his life. I've got three different parts of the message. I hope you follow along. Um, I want to look at section A, which is basically, what does the story tell us? What does the story tell us? Three things as you read the story. We see Daniel taken over, captivity taken away, he's trained, he honors God, he's faithful, and then he understands he's got these gifts. And so he serves God by serving others. So the three things in section A I want you to see is, one, problems position us. And as I've been praying into this message, I wrestled with this even as late as last night, really thinking, man, why, why do I keep coming back to this? And I felt the Lord just say, press on, there are some that need to hear their problems are positioning them. So if that's you, make a special note of that. Secondly, 
The story shows us God is sovereign. I'll show you why we can say that. And thirdly, I want you to see that God's purposes prevail. In this, check your own circumstances. Check out where your life's at. Check out what's going on. For those of you that can't keep up with me in taking notes, I'm going to make all these slides available on the podcast. So when you get it on the app, you just click a button and the slides pop up for you. So um, remind me to do that on Monday or Tuesday. What does the story tell us? Their problems position us. The story of Daniel, just like many, many other stories in the Bible, reveal hard times and hard living, but these things are God orchestrating things. Like I've, I've had seasons in my life where I feel like I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs and alligators, and all I can hear is snapping of teeth around me, and I'm like, oh my Lord, I must have done something wrong. What, what, what's my mistake, or what, what's, what's going on, or how the heck do I get out of this? And God says, no, you're in the right place. I'm just training you and I'm positioning you for something. Well, sometimes, sometimes I'm up against the wall and I don't have enough money to do what I believe God's asked me to do and God says, no, I'm positioning you. I'm not failing you. Sometimes we've got to learn that even if we're up to our eyeballs and alligators, God is doing something. And so the phrase here is focus on God, not the problem. See, sometimes when we get into trouble, we begin worshipping the problem instead of the one who has the answer. We make the problem such a big deal we can't take our eyes off it and in taking our eyes and putting them on the problem, we take our eyes off our saviour. What does that sound like when I'm talking to people? Well, I'm just always like that. I'm always in trouble. Oh, it's just the way I am. I've been made like that. Oh, I'm the guy that always spends too much. I'm the girl that everyone loves to hate. When you take your problem and you make it your identity, you've got serious issues. The beggar at the gate, the woman with the issue, the blind man, the crazy one in the graveyard, that was not their identity. It was a badge they wore in the stories of Jesus, and yet people made it who they were instead of looking at who God created and setting them free into that promise. Don't make your problem your identity. Labels are temporary as we're positioned by God to receive the victory of God. The psalmist David wrote it really well in Psalm 23 and verse 4. He says, even though I go through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid. Lord, for you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and your staff, they protect me. In biblical times, the understanding of shepherding, do we have any shepherds? I don't think we do cow farmers, but not sheep farmers. But, um, but in Bible times, they understood that the rod was something the shepherd used for protection, to beat off the attackers, and also for discipline to keep the sheep in line. In fact, it was, it was um, the, the proverb writer Solomon who said, you know, it's the rod that disciplines the child. So David knew that God as his shepherd had a rod that would protect him and keep the enemy away, but it would also discipline him at the same time. Bible times, when they thought of shepherd's staff, the staff represented God's authority. Think of Moses and the staff he used. Think of Aaron's staff and the, what he did with it. The staff in Moses' hand symbolized he was the man with God's authority. 
See, when you honor the shepherd as, and his staff in your life, you're honoring God as the authority in your life. You acknowledge God's authority. You acknowledge he's guiding you. He's leading you, even if it feels like you're swimming with alligators. God is positioning some of you for his breakthrough. Daniel was a young boy, probably 12, 14 years old, captured, taken to a faraway land, away from his family, treated harshly. He had to live in a place that didn't honor his God. He was treated rough. He was beaten. He was even sent to death with lions just because of his faithfulness. But he never focused on the problem. Focused on God. God's hand was positioning him for great things as we're going to see. What does it mean for you? Focus on God. Ask him to bring his answer to your problems. We're going to do that later. Problems position us for God's plan. God's plans. The second thing in section A is that we've got to understand God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean to you? When I say the word sovereign, we're full of jargon in the church, so let's just be sure we're saying the same thing. Someone give me a definition of God being sovereign. Supremacy. Supremacy. Thanks. That's great. In control. That's great. Reverence. Absolutely. Any other words that would give us a common picture of what I'm saying when I say sovereign? All-knowing? Overall rule. That's great. These are, these are words that are good. I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that we're all understanding what, what the screen means when it says God is sovereign because we want to make sure we understand. When tonight, the encounter night, the theme for tonight is the king is here. And we're absolutely going after an environment where we establish the rule and reign of Jesus Christ in our praise and our worship that his will be done in our town. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. In the story of Daniel, I won't go into all the details, but you want to have a look at this. Make sure you get this page when you get the notes. Even the pagan kings in the story submitted to God as sovereign. Nebuchadnezzar had this crazy dream got an ego trip, and then in line with the dream and the answer that Daniel gave, ended up living like an animal for seven years eating grass. And his mind went, he was crazy man, and his hair grew like feathers, and his nails grew like the talons on an animal, and it said he was subject to the dew of the sky and the grass of the earth. But as promised by God, at the end of seven years, his sanity restored to him, it says in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 34 to 37, we read the prayer of Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, before God. I worship and I praise the Most High. I honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people on earth are nothing. God does as he pleases. I praise Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37. I praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. Nebuchadnezzar realized the sovereignty of God publicly as the ruler of the world, the known world. Darius, also future king, two kings later, had this crazy situation, Daniel 26, 25 and 26. Um, this is when Daniel went into the lion's den. And you know he, his hands were tied. He'd made this law and he couldn't get out of it. And so even though he trusted Daniel, he had to send Daniel to the lion's den for destruction because he had disobeyed this, this law. God miraculously rescues 
Daniel and saves him from the mouths of the lion. And it says in the story, you can read it, but king was overjoyed. The king arrested the others, and then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. I decree everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. King Darius, a pagan king, honored the sovereignty of God. Cyrus, I won't go into this one, but this is another story where Cyrus issues this decree in Ezra chapter 1. So he's a king at the end of Daniel's life. You've just got to get your, your history line right here. Cyrus is the king just before Daniel dies. Daniel's now about 80. And as prophesied by God, King Cyrus decrees in Ezra chapter 1, the Jews shall go back to their home city of Jerusalem and establish the house of God that they may worship him. That's awesome. He's honoring God as the one true God of the Jewish people and that he was sending them back to build the house of the Lord. But in Isaiah 45... Isaiah had prophesied that a man named Cyrus would rise up and release the Jews into a place where God's house will be worshipped. You can read it at the beginning of Isaiah 45. You've got to understand that was 200 years before King Cyrus was born. These kings honoured the sovereignty of God. God's in control, as someone said. When we talk about God as sovereign, I want you to have confidence in who God is. Whatever your circumstances, take confidence from the story that God is Sovereign in all matters. And third part of this little uh, section we're doing here is God's purposes prevail. Daniel's promoted. He holds a position of global influence. He's like the CEO of this empire, and he appoints leaders and makes decisions and distributes what needs to be distributed. He makes decrees and rulings. He's the right-hand man for the king, whoever that is. Through the trials and the troubles, Daniel trusts God. I want you today to understand Daniel was a man who trusted God because of his word. Key point. Daniel trusted God because of his word, capital W. The Holy Scriptures. What does the Bible say that would lead us to put our hope in the Lord? If you're taking notes, write quickly. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will, not, they will run and not go weary. They will walk and not be faint. Be encouraged by the word of the Lord. Psalm 120, verse 1 says... I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Finally, it was Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. People, the word of God is our strength. May we put our hope in the Word of God. Daniel was a, a man, a young man. Uh, by 12 years old, when he was captured, he would have already memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He would, have, he would have been progressing through the prophets at the time. He would have understood the ways of God because he lived the Word of God in the inside. 
That's the only way you put your hope in God, is to have the word of God in you. May we be a people of God who have the word of God. So we're weaving this fabric in Daniel's life. We've got this idea that problems are positioning us. God is at work. Secondly, we understand that God is sovereign. And thirdly, we understand that God's purposes prevail. What I now want to do is weave some other things into that that we can learn that is modeled by Daniel as a young man of faith. I want to look at three thoughts in this next section, and I hope that you can um, apply them to your life of discipline and faith that Daniel would model what you can do. So three things Daniel shows us. He was intentional in posture, he was intentional in purpose, and he was intentional in position. I'm going to look at each three of these. The context of Daniel in Daniel 1 is that he was a captured Hebrew in a pagan land. So intentionally positioned. Let's do this one first. Where was he and what did that mean for his life? So Nebuchadnezzar had captured these people, taken them back, and they'd, they'd almost like conceded to the enemy And he said, now let's train these young men. Let's select fine young men of nobility and let's train them in our ways. And you can read that in Daniel chapter 1. They rename them because they believe names dictate identity. And they change their religion. And they even try and change their diet. In verses 1 to 16... We see these young men in the story they're on, but I want to point something to you. I want to point something out, and then I want to show it to you in the scripture. The first thing that I want to say with intentional position will come up on the screen. The Lord brings us to a place where those things he put inside us can be revealed for his glory. The Lord brings us to a place where those things he put inside us can be revealed for his glory. So look at the end of chapter 1 and verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their Jewish names. So they remained in royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any other of the magicians or enchanters in his kingdom. They stood out. They were different. They were noted by the king, and they were relied on by the king. What gives us the clue as to why this happened? Verse 8 starts to show us this. Verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was determined not to devile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. In verse 14, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. It says after 10 days, it was revealed that they had the special abilities. So what I want to show you in this is sometimes we need to make choices that go against the grain of our environment. Sometimes we need to do different things than our friends are doing. Sometimes we need to stand for our faith and the principles God has put inside us because that's what he wants to reveal to others. 
Now, Daniel and his friends, they refused to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. That's why he went on veggies. Not because meat is bad, but because in his upbringing and his honoring of God, he knew that he could not eat the meat that was sacrificed to an idol, a pagan god. They refused to eat food that had not been processed according to the instructions of God through the the, um, oracles of God. They were not open to pagan customs and rituals that would cause them to sin. So they took a stand, and God honored their choices. And I want you to know that when you take a stand, God will honor your choices. You can intentionally position yourself in an ungodly world and stand out and make a difference. So today, I suppose you want to be thinking, what areas of your life does God want to highlight that you might need to bring in line with Him? What choices are you making that are driven by culture and not faith? Maybe I'll say that again. What choices are you making that are driven by culture instead of faith? If you really do ask God to speak to you, He will. Perhaps ask Him to guide you. Perhaps ask Him to discipline you. Perhaps ask Him to lead you. Intentional positioning is all about us making the right choices to be in the place where God wants to bless us. And when we surrender to His work in our lives, He reveals the marvelous things He put inside us. It's all about intentionally positioning ourselves before God. Recently, I was asking God, about a month ago, four weeks ago, I was asking God to help me to to find those leaders that we're needing in the church for progression towards the amazing things God's got in store for us and the vision that God's given us. And the Lord said this to me, it's four weeks ago, He said, the people you need are already in your church. I was like, yee-haw. And then last week... I was working through this personal development program I've got in, uh, for church growth as a church leader, and this poster popped up in the workbook. Great organizations don't buy leaders, they build them. Come on. Why don't you just take a moment and look around the church? Go on. Look across there. I wonder which leaders God has positioned already around you. I wonder what seeds of destiny are in people, young and old, waiting for the breath of God. You're not looking. What are you afraid to see? You might be sitting next to some amazing worship leader in the future. You might be sitting next to the future kids minister of our church. You might be sitting next to someone who's going to be a pastor and go on and do great things leading a family of God somewhere. Have a look around. No, I am. Maybe we should be encouraging each other. The greatness of God is already inside us if only we would be open to his prompting. One of the other things I'm working on for 2018 and 2019 and conversations I'm having with people was around how they could intentionally position themselves to grow. One of the ways we do that in our church denomination, being at um, Acts Churches, is we work with Vision College, which is our Bible and Leadership College based in Hamilton. I'm currently talking with people about internship opportunities. So the New Zealand Diploma in Christian Studies is a one-year program where you learn theology and leadership and ministry, and you prepare yourself to serve God in the church and outside of the church. Alongside that course of study is a placement in a church or an approved Christian business where you can work 
alongside others in order to grow skills for the future calling on your life. So I'm having conversations with certain people about that at this moment. But if something inside you is going, pick me, pick me, then make sure you come and see me so we can chat about it, work out what the application process looks like and see what it would mean. This is a process that many in this church have been through. Charmaine's laughing because she remembers what it was like. It was fun, wasn't it, Charmaine? Of course, yes, that's a good answer. Yep. Um, it was like having your teeth pulled out, but in a good way, because God's the dentist, so you're okay. Um, but God always does work in people's lives as we mentor them and, and lead them through this process. It's a fantastic way to grow. Another opportunity we've uh, posted up that um, we've, we've got it in draft form because we're not sure anyone's interested, but in November we're talking about doing something I call night school. We're going to take this book, Destined to Win, by Chris Vallotton. I've read it twice this year. It's incredibly challenging but incredibly empowering to lead people to find their God-given destiny, to embrace it, and to be all that he called them to be. To do something different, we decided we'd do facilitated workshops in late afternoon, 4.30 till 6.00. We're going to have workbooks and stuff to work through. Um, and then at 6 o'clock we'll stop and we'll have family dinner. We'll do it for three nights on, in November and see how it goes. We're just gauging interest at the moment because we're not sure that there's going to be enough commitment for it. So register with the office, let us know you're interested or respond to what's on Facebook. We've got a poll running in our Facebook group. I also want to point out that we're also going to offer a program for kids while that's on so that parents can come to it. The whole point of showing you these things is to say we are providing opportunities that you can be positioned in a way to respond to what God's planted inside you. When you're intentional, God works with you. We also see that Daniel was intentional in purpose, but I want you to see how this happened. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2. And the story here, this is the first story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He has this crazy dream about this huge statue. He doesn't know what it means. And he sets up his team. He says, if you don't tell me what the dream was and what the dream means, I'm going to kill you all. And of course, they go, well, that's weird. That's crazy. Why don't you tell us what the dream is? And then at least we can tell you what it means. And he goes, nah, you're not tricking me now. I'm not even going to tell you what the dream was. You need to tell me the dream and tell me what it means, otherwise I'm killing you all. And they're like, oh, set up to fail, we're going to die. <laughs> and, and Daniel hears about it. And Daniel's like, he doesn't panic, he doesn't worry. Do you know what he does? He prays. What a novel idea for someone who believes in God. Gets into trouble, first thing he does, not panic, but pray. And God reveals to him the dream and reveals to him the meaning. And he goes to the king and says, whoa, whoa, hang on. Don't kill anyone. He doesn't just say, don't kill me. He says, don't kill anyone. We've got this. Here's what you need to hear. It is not revealed to you by man or knowledge, but by God in heaven. And he interprets the dream. But in verses um, 17 to 19, Daniel told his friends, urge God, ask them to reveal the secret, so they wouldn't be executed, and then that night the secret was revealed to Daniel. I read you the end of the story. Later on, Nebuchadnezzar rewards Daniel and, and blesses God. See, Daniel knew that God had blessed him with specific gifts. Specific gifts. And he knew that those gifts were not for him, but for him to use them so other people's answers could be provided. God knew the king was going to have a need and he, God wanted a servant who would use the special gifts to meet that need. 
Daniel shows us, and I want you to see this for yourself, the gifts of the Holy Spirit bring God's practical empowerment, which allow you to give service to other people. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they're in the Bible. Read them, 1 Corinthians 12. Read them in Romans 12. Understand what God's got available and ask Him for the gifts of the Spirit because the gifts of the Holy Spirit bring God's practical empowerment which allow you to give service to other people. One of the ways I used this recently was in Indonesia. A couple of weeks ago before I left, the last night before I left, I said to the pastor and his team, I said, hey, let's gather everyone together tonight before I go. It's my last night. Let's have a cup of tea together, but let's ask God to bless each of these ones in the Bible school, these ones in serving the church. Let's ask God to bless them and encourage them with a prophetic word that would really lift their spirits and set them on a, on a good path. So they gathered them together, and I said to you last week, it was like 9 o'clock before they all got there, and it was 24 of them. And I'm like, oh, I feel tired already. But it's not on my strength, it's on God's spirit. Yeah. So God brought words of encouragement, prophecy and encouragement, a word of knowledge to these ones, each one by one, lifted their spirits, filled them with hope, connected them with God, so that when I'm gone, they're still connected to God. That's God using special gifts to bless other people in their place of need. In business, I built a bit of a reputation for doing the same thing. People would say, hey, we've got a problem, could you help? us to hear what God would say is the answer to that problem. And because of the way that it usually happened, I began to call it my whiteboard anointing, which is different to my shopping anointing, I must say. That is also um, something I have, but um, in a different context. So the, the whiteboard anointing, when people would come to me in business and they'd say, we've got this problem, and they'd tell me what the problem is, I'd say, well, great, let's see what God's got as an answer for you. And we pray. And then because I'm a visual thinker, I'd just stand in front of the whiteboard and by faith... I'd wait for God to bring the answer, and I would just draw on the whiteboard what God showed me. Many, many, many examples of times where people were encouraged or led in certain directions because of God's Holy Spirit. One business owner came to me, and what God revealed to, to them was instead of just having one line of business in their income in their business, by the time we finished, they had seven lines of income. God wanted to bless them. One Christian minister from Canada, we were praying for him. He wasn't even in New Zealand, but we were praying through Skype, and God asked me to stand in front of the whiteboard, and what came out of that was a speaking tour in New Zealand for four weeks where he got to minister his grace to thousands and thousands of people and set them free. But beyond that, God knew what his needs were at home that I didn't necessarily know, and he took home $35,000 as a result of that four-week trip. God wants to meet people's needs and bless them. But he does that by using the gifts that he put inside you, the church. God has answers to people's needs. There are people around you with needs, and God is wanting to release the answer, his answer, and his love to them, but he's requiring a willing servant. Daniel knew he had the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he was prepared to use that gift to be an answer to give service to other people. Finally, in this section, we see that Daniel was intentional in posture. What I mean by that is, posture is like my way of saying, what was his normal practice? What was the way he operated? What was his usual mode of operation? If you have a look at Daniel 6 and verse 10, you'll see this. Daniel learned about this law where he couldn't pray 
to anyone except the king called Darius. But in verse 10, it says, When Daniel learned the law that had been signed by the king, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, the way he was trained as a boy. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. What did he do? What was normal? What was normal? To pray before God. See, what Daniel shows us is the things that happen behind closed doors, that's what prepares us to be engaged in God's purpose. That's why the backside of the tapestry is far more important to God than what's seen by other people. That's why we've got to focus on what happens in the quiet place, in the dark place, in the secret place. Because that's where victory is won. Victory doesn't happen in the public stage, it happens in the private prayer closet. What happens behind closed doors for you is what determines how you are engaged in God's purpose. What does your daily prayer life look like? Do you spend time with God? How do you engage with his holy scriptures? One of my friends the other day was saying she doesn't read the Bible, it doesn't work for her, but she sings scripture through song. I came out the other day, Kathy was playing that Bible app and it was reading the Bible to her. Still immersed in the word of God. It's not because she can't read, just let me make that clear. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be, you know, you squatting on the floor facing east and reading the Bible out loud. If that doesn't work for you, don't do it. But spend time with God and his word. And I say this, don't just read for revelation, read for relationship. You see, intimacy with God doesn't come as a free gift. I'm sorry. It comes in response to the effort that you make to seek him out. God hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. But he's waiting for your searching him out. I'm confident of this. I'm confident that God is calling our church family, the people who connect with this faith community, I'm confident he's calling us into a place of greater devotion and deeper intimacy. But it's only when we seek intimacy with God that he releases to us all that he has for us. Jamie taught a series, a four-part series at School of the Spirit on intimacy with God. It was September and October. We're going to publish that podcast shortly. Put that on your to-do list. Um, but I encourage you to grab it. Listen to the teaching and the activation around developing a lifestyle of intimacy with God. Tonight's encounter night is a perfect example where you could be intentional to seek God. It's not about the crowd, it's not about the lights, it's not even about the music. What I'm praying for is a room full of people whose hearts are open to seek God and have an encounter with Him. Because when that happens, our town will get changed. Perhaps you need to position yourself to meet with God, with the people of God. Maybe it means putting aside your normal tradition of watching TV on a Sunday night. Maybe you've got to sacrifice family. I can tell you the people that came to set this up yesterday, they sacrificed family for five and a half hours. Not because they want a badge, because it's an act of service and worship. Put aside normal traditions. Put aside things. Sacrifice God in order that you'd meet God. Because when we have a body of Christ who have their hearts open to the Spirit of God at bringing an encounter, our town will not stay the same. When you seek Him, He's willing to be found. 
So I want to finish with this. If I can get the band to come back and join us on stage. We're going to have a time of response. And this is an internal response. This is you doing business with God. I, I said to you at the start that I wanted to reveal some stuff to you, and, and, I'm, and I'm about to do that. See, my desire is always to lead you to a place where you can respond to the prompting of God. I know, I've learned over the years, it's not so much about the words. It's actually even not about what you hear. What it is about is what the Lord is prompting in your heart. What is Jesus saying to you through his Holy Spirit? And what's he inviting you to respond to? I've got these three prayers that I want to show you. And then we're going to sing. And then we're going to, you can choose how you respond. So one of the things around being really intentional that I pray, this is what I'm asking God. These are the words I use. Father God, would you show me a picture of how near you are to me right now? You'd be amazed at how many people sit in church and don't know that God's close to them. What about when you're facing a struggle at home? Or what about when you're facing a challenge at work? Or what if you're sitting with a friend who's just told you they've got a terminal illness and you don't know what to say? God is not absent. God is not far from you. God is wanting to reveal himself to you. And in that moment, in my moment of helplessness and utter confusion, because I'm only simple and I don't know the answer, I pray this prayer. Father God, would you show me now a picture of how near you are to me. And in that moment, what happens for me is I get a revelation of how close God is to me, how he's walking with me or embracing me, and that encourages me, and I pray it does you. Second thing I ask God is this, Father God, would you show me the spiritual gifts that you've empowered me with for this moment? Because when someone comes to me with a need and I don't have the answer, I know he does. God, by the grace of your Holy Spirit, would you show me a gift that you've got for me that I can give to this other person that will meet their needs? And in that moment, you become blessed to be a blessing to someone else. And finally, this is what I ask God. Would you show me the lifestyle of partnership you've invited me into? God doesn't want you to do this on your own. Daniel didn't do it on his own. He's a young Jewish boy in an ungodly land doing stuff he didn't, wasn't trained to do. And yet he was willing to partner with God, use what God gave him and bless other people and bless them, the world because of it. Not just the nation, not just Babylon. They were the world ruler. And when, you, when you're bold enough to pray this prayer, Father God, would you show me the lifestyle of partnership you've invited me into? God will begin to reveal to you those things he's already put inside you. He's already designed for you to carry, not that you would keep them, but that you would release them and other people would be blessed. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this song. Let's make this song your prayer. I'll put those three questions up on the screen and you can have a look at them while we're singing, but I'd invite you to humble yourself before God that he would lift you up, that you would meet him in this place, have a heart-to-heart encounter with God, and be ministered to by his Holy Spirit.